0: Hey everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Real Talk podcast. We hope that these discussions will inform and inspire you to engage in your own Real Talk. Today's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, TriVan, builders of custom trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at www.trivan.com. A big thanks to them for making these conversations possible. Now onto the episode.
1: Hey everybody, uh welcome to this episode of Real Talk. Uh we're excited for today's uh, guest for today's topic. Um so without further ado on today's show, we are joined by Reverend Christopher Gordon. Um, and he is a URC pastor from California, Central California, I believe. Escondido, if I'm saying that correctly, I got that right. That'd,
2: uh, that'd be
3: more that'd be more southern. It, be be more. Thin, that's central. So okay, okay. Well, I gotta work with my us. Yeah. <laughs>
1: there
3: we go. There we go.
1: Cool stuff. And uh, the reason for uh, having uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Gordon on today's podcast is we're going to be chatting about new Reformation Catechism on human sexuality. Should we camera that? Yeah, sure. That got, got published by, by Reform Perspective in their last magazine over the summer. Yeah, a recent, oh. recent edition. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, yeah how it was created, the whole process, uh, what went into, into making uh, this document. Uh, what it means to write a catechism versus, uh, I guess we're we're very familiar with Heidelberg. A lot of our listeners would be. So how that compares to the the mighty Heidelberg and what this uh, this catechism <laughs> is is going to be. So we'll clear up any uh, any uh, issues around that, and then yeah, we'll just work through uh, what it's meant to what, what it's going to be. So without further ado, um, yeah, welcome to the program. And do you want to give uh, our listeners a brief intro about your your background and who you are?
3: Sure. Um, well, I've always grown up in the church. I grew up in Central California and um, uh, grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. And uh, after attending college, uh, theological convictions led me into the URC. And so I taught high school Bible um, for a while back in the Central Valley, of California. My wife and I married that year. And then I came down to Westminster. That would have been 2000, 2000, 2001. And then I came down to Westminster Seminary and um, tended here for three years, got my MDiv. And then I I accepted a call up to Linden, Washington, to the URC in Linden. And I pastored there for eight years. And uh, then I uh, received a call in 2012 back to Escondido, to the Escondido URC. And I've been here now for 10 years. So I've been in pastoral ministry about 18 years. And, um, yeah, I can feel it. I'm getting old. So <laughs> I'm, all I'm gray hair, can't you tell yeah. <laughs> earlier today? I said,
1: Oh, he looks like a young guy. <laughs> <laughs> and we still think that for
3: the record, yeah. that's, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a short version. That's a short right. version. Right?
4: Are you surrounded by, uh, a few, uh, URC congregations?
3: Yes. Um, there, there's a URC in Oceanside with Reverend Danny Hyde. There's also a URC in Santee with Reverend Bill Godfrey. Um, okay. We had the Eskimo URC was essentially involved in planning both of those churches. So oh, cool. um, there are other URCs, obviously, up north a bit and um, in our classes. But, yeah, those are the two local ones. I mean,
4: nice. I, I've been to California. I still don't know where that is. So so I'll, I'll you should up. come.
3: <laughs> the number one rated va- vacation spot. So is everyone G- leaving guys? California Yeah, that's true. We are facing some of that. Um, everyone wants to get out of here because of politics and everything else, but I look at it as a good opportunity. And uh, you know, if everyone leaves, who's gonna preach the gospel? So somebody true. has to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's true. That's true. So
4: uh, yeah. Why don't we uh, talk a little bit about the document? Like, so the, the book you, you had published, you had this catechism published after working on it for forever and ever. And then uh, we're generous enough to let uh, Reform Perspective run it in their magazine for, for free, I guess. Um, actually, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Maybe you made good money on that.
2: Uh.
3: <laughs> no, I didn't make anything. <laughs> Let's get that clear.
2: Um, yeah, we were...
3: The goal, the goal of it was to get it out. And what a great opportunity, you know, with border challenges, we thought, uh, reform perspective and John, John Dykstra, um, they do good work and he approached me and, um, our board through abounding grace radio, um, uh, which was one of the joint publishers of this, um, thought it was a great idea. And so, I mean, I think it went out to like six, 6,000 households. I think they have that many subscribers. So <laughs> What a what a great opportunity to get it in people's hands, which is the goal of it. It's not a moneymaker. I think they sell it for three bucks. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
4: Well, that's no, it's good. It's yeah, I mean, it got to my home. So that's uh and yeah, how to read through it. So it's pretty yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great document. Some people should check it out. They can even check it out for free, I think, on uh second website. On the website. Um, you know, not to, to downplay the three dollar book sales, but <laughs> that's okay. You can. <laughs> so maybe we can talk a little bit about um like so why did this uh project start? Like so what what was the like what's been the history of this uh the sexual revolution as we, we like to call it? And uh, uh like when did that start? Like what was the what's the basic problem and and then why is this the
3: solution? Well that's a that's a huge question. Um <laughs> just to start why we are, where we are today. Um, yeah, there's a whole history to that. And obviously we're living in a post Freud world, um, where essentially sexual desire, um, and some of the strange statements he made are what defines you. And now we live in a world where everyone turns inward, um, to define who they are to find an identity. And so, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing this everywhere. We're being bombarded with this in the culture. Um, Uh, You know, I was I just had uh, my dear friend Christopher Yuan on on my program yesterday, and uh, we were just talking about this this very point that you cannot escape this. The church, you know, the church has to address this. <laughs> it's a, um, and for too long, we've been a little Victorian when it comes to sexuality in the church, meaning, you know, the, the culture's throwing it at us in every way. Commercials, movies, you can't turn on TV without being indoctrinated with what I believe is a new religion. Um, a Nebuchadnezzar kind of moment where everyone's telling us to bow down to this new golden idol that they've set up. It's a religion that is being imposed on us. And, um, and the church has to do a better job. We're we're just a little drop in the bucket in our response to what's coming at us. Mm. It's just constantly coming at us and, um, and it's affecting our people. It's affecting the Christian community. We've got parents who are, have children who are falling into this. So we're living in this, this world where everything now is, uh, you know, everything's about all these identity groups are about power and influence and identity. Everyone's vying for that. And one of those arenas is human sexuality. And so um, what was sort of the impetus for writing it was I was seeing even in my congregation, um, families deeply affected by this. Um, um, Even children um, with peer pressure. And, and by the way, it was social media, you know, that's why we have to do, I think I have a question answer, on this in the catechism that tells us how to shepherd children through this, because um, they're facing great peer pressure via social media and identity groups. And we're seeing at times, you know, um, some of our young people adopt these ideas and um, adopting a different gender, um, which is an interesting category of word that we've now normalized. But anyways, Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was sort of the drive for writing it. I didn't, it sort of fell in my lap. I didn't, I didn't know if I was the one to do this. I know that people had been asking for some time, we need a catechism on human sexuality. And I'm sure we'll get into uh, like you mentioned up front um, what a catechism is and how this differs from what is an officially approved ecclesiastical confessional document. There's a, there's a fundamental difference here. We could we'll talk about that. I'm sure. But Um, We needed to put something into the hands of parents. That was one of my major goals of parents, Christian schools, churches, for even preaching series, Sunday school series, Bible study series, in basic question and answer format so that we could get to the crucial issues of of this movement and address them as they're coming at us. And so that's why I, I, I had it in my head one day. In light of a certain situation that I was facing in light of my local church I thought I'm going to try to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going I'm just going to try. I'm not going to I'm not going to pass this out for a long time. I'm going to see how this goes. And so one of the nice things about being down here in Escondido is I'm right next to Westminster Seminary and I have I have wonderful resources with Bob, Doctor Godfrey, um, Doctor Clark, a whole bunch of them who I could I could have a look at, um, and this in this process of me writing this, so to get feedback, and um, and then also I don't know if you know the name Rosaria Butterfield, she came out and did a conference for us on human sexuality. Rosaria uh, is just been she's been a great blessing, and she um, she spoke on these issues, and I approached her. And she actually wrote the foreword, you'll see, um, you'll see in in, in the booklet. But um, so with all that in mind, I I said, I'm going to give this a try. But I thought I, I didn't want just an abstract catechism. I wanted a catechism that would be familiar to our particular tradition. And the Heidelberg, you can't beat it for its warmth. I mean, you mentioned up front how wonderful the Heidelberg is. It's so warm. And I thought if I could take the motifs of the Heidelberg catechism, the central themes, the language that we're used to, and and build a catechism off of that. So this is not, in a sense, a new catechism. In that these are new truths; they're applying the old truths of the Heidelberg Catechism to a current situation that we're facing that they didn't face. <laughs> they did not. They did not face what we're facing today. Not even close on the on the issue of human sexuality. So you you take, I took the basic principles and I worked to develop this catechism based on the Heidelberg and um, even the the structure of it and the first question answer. And then the second that said, what three things must, you know, focusing the questions on the issue of human sexuality and identity. And so that led me to produce what 41 questions and then I passed it out to a whole series of scholars and people um, to get their feedback. It went through a lot of revisions. Uh, obviously, you have to you have to do this well. <laughs> and I was a little nervous. You know, um, would I when you when you send this out, what kind of feedback would you get? Would you get trashed all over the internet world, or would it be received well? And I think putting it before some of the the really sharp minds of our day. Gave it some credence, and people then said, "Okay, you know, we're going to look at this." And it's, it's, um, yeah, by God's grace and His blessing, the the Catechism has has done well, and has, I mean, sold out at Reformation Heritage Books. So I'm very grateful in God's providence that it seemed to be the right timing to do this and mm-hmm. um, to get it into the hands of people. So I'm thankful for the reception. That's sort of the the short version of how it came about. Right. Oh, how long was that process for you? Then, like,
1: what, how long have you been thinking about this issue?
3: Well, I started writing it probably, we're 2000, uh, probably about maybe early part of COVID. So probably a couple of years ago, I started, I started drafting it and the drafting, the first draft went fairly quickly. I I was able to, to, to know the direction I wanted to go and, and. Get sort of the basic structure of the catechism. So, um, but then I sat on it for a long time. I didn't do anything with it, and I didn't quite know how to what to do with publishing, who to have it published. I think publishers were a little nervous about this work because, you know, it's a catechism. What status does it have? There's not many new catechisms being written now. That's that's not in our tradition to not write catechisms. Mm-hmm. um if if we were back in the 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 50, uh, 16th century and 17th century almost every pastor at his local parish wrote a catechism i'm i'm a big collector of antiquarian theology and it's amazing how many catechisms are in all these old theology books that the pastors wrote that would take the the basics of what they confessed together in a church and they would build on it and apply it in ways that were helpful to their own congregations so I thought, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's not been good that we've stopped doing that. I recognize the danger in it um, because you could have everyone writing a catechism and then um, we lose the sort of value of the officially approved creeds Mm -hmm. and confessions. I don't think that would happen, but I do think this was necessary to do. So um, yeah, that's what kind of drove me, drove me to do it and to write it. And um, I thought, I thought catechism was one of the best ways the Reformation was advanced. We don't think like that. In our day and age, in our day and age catechism is kind of a bad word. <laughs> Catechesis, um, you think young people react to it and people don't want this. I think that's totally wrong. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I personally believe these are, this is the most helpful way, uh, obviously, the, the best way we advance the truth is by the preaching of the gospel and, and God's word. But to put in summary statements, what we believe in question answer format is one of the best way to help, I think, you know, young adults, children, all ages on this crucial issue of our day. So that's what kind of motivated it. Yeah,
4: It is a, it, it's, a, well, I don't, I don't think about the uh, Heidelberg Catechism a lot as a, a readable document that you could sit down and just like Read through, but when I I did this, you know, for this podcast, the catechism is actually uh, it's a nice read to read question and answers. It's it's like they're yeah, I mean, it's obviously very pointed. It's like reading a court document or a court uh, proceeding. It's like oh, well, that's where we're going. Okay, this is cool. Like, yeah. but then and then there's obviously like tons of content or like tons of uh you know well, yeah, there's also yeah, Lucas is pointing to the footnotes in here and stuff too. Like there's there's lots of there's lots of backup. Uh, uh resources to go read and then um like like texts but then mm-hmm. also yeah like you're just making good points in every sentence so it's uh Very concise yeah and it's like yeah it's packed full of good stuff so it's not like it's uh you know you got to sit down for for 6 to 8 hours and and no. something over to see what you can pull out of it like it's all right there so
3: um, right and, that, and that's like, another uh, yeah. point, important point because i you know there's good books written on human sexuality but you know, our the busyness of our age. I'm not sure Christians are really taking the time to sit down and read through um, the scholars who are writing on this issue. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure people are, but I don't think that's widespread. I don't think we're in a reading age. All the more so, like you're saying, um, to be direct and get to the point with short question and answers to help parents have talking points with their children is. Is really crucial, I think, in our day. And um, it provides that avenue to open, open the dialogue with our children and, and instruct them. You know, sometimes I'll, I've gone through the catechism with my children. Or, you, know, you know how children are. You don't know what they're taking in. They're always taking in more than what you think. So yeah. um, to simply put these truths in front of them and train their mind in them is really important for what they're going to face down the road. We're, we're doing preventative work with the catechism.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, to to some of your earlier points, like they're being categorized by the world, uh, especially yeah. social media and, and the internet, every single day. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. You need you need a counterbalance, a strong pointed counterbalance of that. So right, why so it's right. very important to to have this document. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the the question and answer style. That's very effective for for teaching um, people of all ages, I suppose, but especially for for youth as well. Um, so how do you delineate between uh, this type of catechism, the kind of catechism you described uh, in the in the fifteenth, sixteenth century, a lot yeah. of the pastors would write. and then you have these confessional documents in our churches. Right. why why use the still why use the terminology catechism, I guess? And has right. there been any confusion uh, since publishing this between the two?
3: Yeah, great, great question. i I talked about that in the um uh, in the preface and the forward. Um, well, Rosaria mentioned that too, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a sort of general apprehension toward anything new with, with catechisms, because what we already have approved is the basis upon which we walk together in unity, right? So we have these three forms of unity that we've agreed, um, to align ourselves with. And those are, those are, those are bounds that keep us in bounds of our faith. And, and so to come along and, and I, I was a little nervous of perception because it's not being done today. Would this be viewed as arrogant? Um, who's this guy to take on writing <laughs> catechism, you know? Um, but again, like I said, since it was frequently done, uh, in the 16th and 17th centuries, I, I tried to make the case for that up front, um, saying that I think I mentioned, um, one of the writers there um, greenham um, mm-hmm. with, yeah. yeah and greenham wrote a really good little catechism uh, in his day so there is a difference there's a difference between what the church has officially in it in her church courts approved to walk together with yeah. um, and and this is not that now that's not saying it couldn't happen I mean, I, I like to remind people. One person wrote the Belgic, you know, same as Guido de Bray, and um, and that was that was officially adopted in. And and it's possible that a church body may say we're getting killed on this. We need a statement of faith on this. We need help with this, and and it could go up the church courts and get approved that way, and then it would become that right? If, if that were, if that were done in a proper orderly manner in light of the church courts, but as it is right now, it's simply a resource, just like it would be another book um, that's done in the familiar style of what we have approved ecclesiastically as a catechism. And a catechism is just, just that it's just a teaching tool in question answer format um, to address these fundamental truths that need to be addressed. So yeah I think that's an important point to to emphasize that uh, it doesn't have official ecclesiastical status but I will say this that I put it in front of my elders and I had my elders look over it and approve it so that it did receive in my local church it did have elders look at it and make sure it was in check with what we believe and confess so mm-hmm. I th- I wanted to communicate that I don't think I said that up in the beginning of the of the booklet, but that did happen.
2: Yeah.
4: Do you um, do you have a, a vision in mind of how, you know, people would use this in, in say a local church or like, I mean, it's obviously a great resource for parents to read through and, and have on hand even, you know, as they're talking to their kids day to day, but like, is there, do you have some kind of a vision for, you know, use in the church or Bible study or something like that?
3: Yeah, I mean, that that's I think been the encouraging um, Issue with with regard to response is that there are many churches who have purchased bulk um, copies of the catechism and they've they've put them out, you know, for free out in the foyer for people to take, encouraging their church members to take them, to take them home and use them around the table. That was one of my ultimate goals was to have it to be used around the table with families. But I do think, um, you know. In our in our particular tradition, you brothers know, we're used to preaching. We're used to preaching out of the three forms on the teaching service in one of our services on the Lord's Day, usually the second mm-hmm. service. And um, I don't I don't think if the elders were to approve this, there'd be anything out of line of taking this catechism. And I realize it could get cumbersome to have. Um, I originally put this in Lord's Days but I didn't quite come up with a whole year of Lord's days. <laughs> so um, I, 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 the initial title was a quarterly catechism. Um, but then the um, one of the editors and um, publishers said, you know, let's just get rid of Lord's days. Cause it's not, it's not enough to do that. But I I did kind of envision pastors being able to take this and build a sermon series um, catechism preaching is we kind of sometimes criticize evangelical churches for too much topical preaching, but it is our way of topical preaching <laughs> uh-huh. um working through systematically what we believe and confess. so I thought you know you could you could take this catechism and um there there's freedom and liberty to use it in a way for a pastor to cover the core issues there because, like, um the the four sections of the catechism, you know, you have, you have, you have the fall, right. And um, you have creation, you have fall, you have redemption Then you have restoration. And um, you know, you could, you could do a lot with that. In addressing this issue, what is the, what is the fundamental thing that is under the fundamental section of scripture that is under attack in our day? It's Genesis one and two. Mm. Across the board. <laughs> you know, it's um they're 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 trying to redefine everything that God put in place in creation as creation norms. I mean, mm. you know, you can have a, a Supreme Court justice say she doesn't even know what a woman is, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's our yeah.
3: day, that's that's where we're living, and um that's the time we're living, and so we've got to go back to creation. And help people with what did God put in place at creation that was good for us. And so in a sermon series, what a great opportunity to take this this issue that is bombarding us and challenging us and start working through the basics of what we already know about creation and help people put together um, put these things together and see, God made, made a good design at creation. All of it's under attack by the evil one who's questioned the very first question of Satan in the Garden of Eden. Did God say everything Satan's ever done from the beginning is the liar is to question God's word. And, um, and so that being a case, one of the things he tempted Eve with was just that, her, who, who she is, her identity. Um, God knows that in the day you eat of this, you will be as God. You can define your own way. You can have your own identity. You can have your own happiness. Cause that's what everyone's living for. And, and um, see all this fits. Yeah. <laughs> we can go back to creation and show the good design and show, you know, when we abandon God's creation norms, that's why we're in the mess that we're in. And, um, you know, I think today living in what is now a post, we're not even post Christian culture anymore. We're anti-Christian culture. We used, to, you know, we used to say in postmodernism that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, we all can have our truth, we can all hug and get along. That's not what's happened in the last two or three years. We're outside of postmodernism. We have now moved into an anti-Christian age and culture that is opposed fundamentally to what is Christian. And as Christianity was often embedded in law, and in cultural influence in our nations and cultures, we had a free ride in many ways to, to do this with protection. All that's changing. So I, I felt like this this particular moment it would be it was good to go back and provide pastors an opportunity to go through these issues with their with their congregants and um, to see what's happened to the good design God put in place.
4: Right? Why? Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked on this podcast a bunch about different. I mean, obviously the culture, like what you're saying is falling apart, like from the core kind of like the devil is like attacking the, the fundamental, um, like presupposition of Christianity, like that, you know, God made the world and he made it good. And everything that he set in place was good. And, well, why do you think that like this, the sexual revolution is one of those, um, paths that is being taken, um, and targeted like almost at every level, like politically and, and, you know, kind of across the board in our culture. Um, Why is that specifically a, a good place? I guess, you know, if you can say that for the devil to attack.
3: Um, Because I think Freud recognized that sexual desire are some of our most powerful desires. Right. And, and um, the scriptures aren't silent about this. I'll come back to answering your question, but, you know, people will always say to me, you you know, you Christians are focused so much on this issue. (laughs) Why are you so focused on this issue? You know, there's gossip. We don't hear you. We don't hear you um, going after gossip all the time. Like you're like you're going after homosexuality. You just, you guys seem obsessed with this particular issue. The answer is because the whole culture is obsessed with it. Right. The whole culture is shoving this down and it's made it uh, uh, down our throats. It's a religion, like I said, that we have to, we have to bow to. And the scriptures aren't silent about the deceptiveness of this sin. There's two sins in the scripture that are intertwined that the Bible holds out and, and, and doesn't mince words about the the power of these sins, the deceptiveness of these sins. It's, it's idolatry and it's sexual immorality and they run together. So the Bible doesn't say for all these, you know, uh, there's a lot of sins, you know, um, fight, uh, run away from gossip. You fight gossip. You, 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 you curb your words, you protect your tongue. When it comes to sexual morality, it says run as fast as you can the other way flee. <laughs> mm-hmm. So flee idolatry, flee sexual morality. Those are the two twin sins that the Bible says run as far away Uh, from as you can. The reason is, is because there's, uh, we all know, look at the, look at the desires of the human heart and look how powerful these desires are and look at how they can, how they, they can destroy somebody's life. And so the scriptures aren't bashful in, in pointing out how dangerous these sins are. Well, what would we expect in a culture that has turned anti-Christian and that has told us basically for years, we've been taught to live. We're radically autonomous individuals. We've been taught to follow the desires of our heart. We've been told by everyone, follow your heart, listen to your heart. Your heart is good. You know? And and Christianity's message is fundamentally different. No, your heart is deceitful above all things. You don't know it. It's desperately wicked. But the culture is telling everyone to follow those desires and to live in those desires, to find identity and happiness. These are some of the most powerful desires. So of course, Satan's going to use this in whatever way he can um, to promote any kind of deviance from God's design and rebellion. He's the author of rebellion. I mean, this is what our Heidelberg says, you know, when he tempted and when he, um, when they were instigated by the devil in the garden. So he's continuing to instigate us with some of our most powerful, sinful desires. So it comes down to the issue of desire. We don't have in the culture, you know, um, gossip parade day.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: no. no, no, no. <laughs> also, what we have is the celebration of gay pride day. So the culture has chosen this and the culture, the world has said this is the most defining aspect of who you are is your sexual identity based on sinful desire. There's a good identity God gives us, and there's a proper sexuality, but based on sinful desire. And Jesus taught us very clearly, it's out of the heart that proceeds murder, adultery, fornication, theft, all sexual morality, everything is flowing out of the human heart. So we've got a fundamental issue with how the culture has impose this on us because its starting point is that human desire is good and that it should be followed. And Satan has run with that in the arena of sexual morality, and and it, there's no stopping this. That's why you're constantly adding letters to the LGBT. You know, G. I'm I'm messing it up. Plus, Q, uh, a good <laughs> I, I'm, I'm anticipating the new ones to come. Okay, but, um, <laughs> you're always adding a new one to this because you can,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and and bestiality's next. Trust me.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Sadly, sadly, uh, yeah. I, I was even struck uh, just reading through this. So I'm 24, and this stuff's been getting pushed most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I know I grew up in a church, going to a Christian school. I know what we teach on these issues, but even then, it was still, I don't. Know the jarring would be too strong, but like it was, it was uh, a positive sense of the word. I guess it was reassuring. That um, uh, these truths were just plainly stated because it just grinds away at your psyche every day. Like yeah, does, even not if like you bold like this, right? No, like it's it's just great to see it written out and like, oh yeah, this is the starting point, this is what we're taught in creation, this is where your identity lies, this is why what the world is saying is not true. And yeah, like I, I would say I'm pretty engaged on this issue and I'm pretty aware of it, and um yeah, if you're not even like, if to a lesser extent, it's just the world is just categorizing everybody like, honestly, yeah. day after day after day, and it's yeah, even if you know the truth, you don't say it out loud too often. You just go, oh yeah, you know that's silly, or yeah, they're totally wrong on that. Right. So, what's the response been among? Uh, I guess Barry, if you have rolled it out a bunch of church, how are younger people taking to it?
3: No, that's a that's a good question. Um, I th- I think it's going to come down to. How it depends on age, right? Um, right? I know Rosaria said in the in in her little um, forward there that it would have really helped her to have something like this when she was really wrestling with these issues. Do you, everyone, do you know her story? Uh, yeah, she was a well. Maybe just run it through for the Yeah, she was she was a lesbian um, professor at Syracuse University, specialized in queer and critical theory she was at the cutting edge of the movement at the time. And, um, yeah, she was a, she was a, a practicing lesbian and, um, and she was, had a pastor come alongside her, I think had her over for, that's why she wrote the book hospitality. You know, um, the gospel comes with a house key, but this, this pastor fed her like 500 meals and ministered to her. And, and I'm not, I was stunned when she said 500, did you say 500? I felt like a little bit of a failure. I need to have somebody people over more to my house, I guess, but, (laughs) um, 500 meals. And this pastor was so patient with her and he worked with her and he loved her, um, the, that couple, um, and she, she was converted to Christ. And she wrote that in her memoir, the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert, which really traces that whole exit out of, out of that, that lifestyle. So um, she said something like this would have really helped her. So I think it depends. Um, How, how are young people, how are they processing this? I I think of my own kids. I've got a senior right now. I've got a sophomore. I've, I've got an eighth grader and I've got a sixth grader. You know, they've heard from the Christian community this whole time. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Okay. Yeah, we know it's wrong. I don't think they've really been faced with the issues yet.
2: Mm -hmm. They've
3: been somewhat protected in the Christian community. They've been somewhat surrounded. However, it's wrong for me to think as a father that um, they're not being challenged in subtle ways on this. My daughter comes home, she goes to the Christian school and says, dad, most of my friends, you know, they're not they they're not practicing that they would never become a lesbian or homosexual, but they don't think it's wrong. They think you can be a Christian and do this. Right. Yeah. And and so so that's where we are. It, 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 they've heard it's wrong. They've heard these issues. Um, we've told them that it's wrong. I think we have to help them with a positive view of why human sexuality as God designed it is good and not just this is. Let's face it. We, we've been we've been this is all so evil, this is all so bad and because of the cultural shifts most Christian households sit around and complain about the state of things.
2: Yeah, that's that's but what we do
3: all day long now in front of our kids. That's not really the best way to train them. <laughs> we have a positive message with a positive gospel, right?
1: Can I get you to break down that positive uh, message in a second?
3: So yeah um you know the the challenge is is are what have we heard in in the home today as christians what are what are how are we responding to all the cultural shifts and my guess is because i know my wife and i have have fought this tendency is that you know we've complained about everything in front of our children You know, I mean, we fall into the political divide. You turn on Fox, you turn on CNN and, you you know, woe, woe is me. Look at the state of the affairs and all they hear is how bad everything is. And um, when it comes to the issue of human sexuality, I think they've 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 been told this is this is all evil. This is all bad. Their their age groups haven't really connected the dots as to what is what is a good. you know, what is good human sexuality and why should we be pursuing that? Like I said, you know, my daughter has friends who in the Christian school believe, and I think this is this is kind of where the state of Christianity is on the matter, that you can be a Christian, still be a Christian and be a practicing homosexual. Um, you can do these things. And it's it's, you know, who are we to judge that kind of mentality that's filled filled the, the culture. So, you know, they, they, it, on one hand, they've heard this is all evil. Their friends are struggling because of cultural peer pressure. What do they need from us? I think they need to hear from us a positive message of God's good design on this mm-hmm. and, and also why it should be pursued. Um, it glorifies God. And there's true happiness found in fulfilling and being what he made you to be the 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 lie of the devil is you'll find happiness in trying to be your own god and doing your own your own thing and it never pays out i think i saw a statistic the other day i think it was between um 2012 and 2018 su- suicide rates increased um i can't remember the age group i think it was up to it was about from age maybe 12 to, uh, to about 25, I think. Suicide rates increased in those years 60%, and none of the experts know why. <laughs> I think Christians should know why. <laughs> you know? If, if, you're, if you, you've been pitched to take on an identity and find happiness in an identity that's outside of the, the good design of God, that's not going to bring happiness. It's going to bring misery. It's going to bring ruin. And so we can prove on that end, the sadness of what results in taking on an identity that Christ hasn't assigned you. What is the good identity that, that God has given us? That's what the catechism was kind of designed to to help with that. I am valued, that I am loved, that I am purchased, that God does care for me, that, that, that he has in in a, in a perfect plan, his will for me. And, and it has to do with how he made me accepting how he made me and that, that is good. And that pursuing that design within his will is a place of happiness. Mm. So I think, I think that, um, That kind of approach is necessary in our day to encourage our kids and to demonstrate it well in our homes. That's why I have a whole section in the catechism on how husbands are to love their wives and wives are to love their husbands. They're modeling these things before their children. If that's not modeled well, (laughs) you know, you're you're um, it becomes a sort of temptation, I think, for them to to try to find happiness elsewhere. Totally. Mm. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, it's bang on. We often get stuck in uh, in the complaining side of things and like the, i guess if you look at it in the structure of the catechism in the fall like oh look at all this sin around us look at all mm-hmm. you know this debauchery and the yeah. sexual deviation here, even on social media a lot of that is just like
3: yeah you no know,
1: that drives the algorithm or the algorithm yeah. drives that
3: there's no good news there's no good news today no, exactly anywhere. I mean, yeah. and gospel, by definition, means good news. So yeah. we have to be the ones who champion that, especially in this arena and an issue regarding human sexuality. Mm-hmm. Gospel liberates. Gospel sets free, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: And we need, we need to, yeah, definitely share that with, with everybody, and especially the younger generation, too. Because uh, I think you mentioned this elsewhere, maybe. But when you need, we need this basis this, and this catechism sets it up well be able to talk to people who are going through these issues and it's not just good enough to say well I know that's like that lifestyle is wrong but then to set up like okay your identity is in Christ and yes we're all fallen sinners and this is how we have been saved and how you can live your life and restored mm-hmm. um, yeah can you maybe uh, give give uh, us and our listeners a, kind of a brief kind of synopsis and I touched on that a bit earlier but What's what's like the elevator pitch, or maybe an extended elevator ride of a minute or two, um, that you can give to people who are struggling with this issue and to show them the framework that uh, we understand human sexuality within.
3: So even from the, you want me to go through a little bit of the catechism
1: and kind of yeah, the like creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Sure,
3: sure. So I, I I was mad at myself because I didn't bring my actual physical copy. So I'm I have it here on the internet. So <laughs> I'm reading yeah, it. About um, but yeah, you know, uh, um, from the beginning, um, what I what I wanted to do was have like the Heidelberg a first question. It was sort of a summary question, right? So the first question of the Heidelberg is what is our only comfort in life and in death? That theme of comfort is, is crucial to the whole catechism. So I wanted to pick up on that. Why is it comforting that we have a new identity in Christ? There's that positive aspect. We have something really good that's been given to us in Christ. And this first question answer sort of captures the whole course of, of the catechism that, that what, um, what Christ is doing is, and what the purpose of God is in, in in our whole formation to being made in the image of Christ is that we're being remade into that image, and He is the one that assigns us a true identity. And as I said, in body and in soul, I think that's important um, because our bodies matter. <laughs> you know? um, what we do with our bodies matter, and God's going to raise our bodies. So I even will address, you know, people who've had sex changes in the course of the Catechism. What we're made as as male and female will be raised, you know, brand new in the, the resurrection and any, you know, mutilation or confusion over sexual orientation identity is going to be fixed. So we don't want to tamper with that. We already have a good identity signed to us that we're being remade in body and soul throughout the whole course of our life to enjoy God and, uh, and glorify him forever. That was picked up in the West from the Westminster, um, but that he redeemed us and he purchased us and has delivered us from this great lie of Satan in the garden and that his, his great work and sanctification is to free us from sexual impurity and um, to have an identity that is, that is appreciated and loved is what the, what the Lord um, desires of us. So second question answer, you know, how, What must I know about my human sexuality, new identity? And I kind of pattern the Heidelberg again, three things, how great my unholy desires and sexual sins are, how I'm set free and how I'm to lead a thankful life. So then I go into creation. And um, I mean, when I first wrote this catechism, you guys, uh, I I thought, isn't it something that I have to ask question and answer three today? How many sexes did God make at creation?
2: Yeah, it just gets, yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean.
3: You know, that's, that's a stunning thing that we're at that place. Right. I mean, that's where we are. (laughs) That's what we're faced with. God made two sexes, male and female. He created them in the image of God. He made them. So, um, again, we can't assume that these things are just understood.
1: It'd be funny to look back on that. Like we, we read the Heidelberg and it seems like fairly timeless, but also there's maybe certain parts of it that, uh, aren't as highlighted today as issues and a lot of the, uh, the Protestant Catholic divide. Um, yeah, yeah Like I, I can't just imagine how people might read this in a couple hundred years. And be like, yeah,
3: we'll see where it goes. You know, that was one question I had. Will this, will this age? Well, you know, the Heidelberg, yeah. the original Heidelberg, you know, is timeless. Yeah. It just depends on what this does, but I can tell you this, this is not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think the whole thing's going to implode. Um, because it, it can't this inherent it, this movement is inherently divided within itself. I mean, uh, there's already a, a protest um, of the L in the LGBT plus Q. Am I getting it right wrong again? Um, the lesbian, they're against the, um, the, the, the transgender. And why? Well, that makes sense. Um, You know, how is that going to (laughs) work? How is that that movement going to inherently work together? You already see its divide and problem with regard to something like women's sports. I mean, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be very unhappy if my daughter's a great sprinter. And there is a, uh, you know, there's a man who was raised who was born as a man is now identifying as a female is blowing away the competition. It doesn't work with feminism, does it?
1: No, yeah. you need categories to if you're a lesbian or a homosexual, you're relying yeah. on the male-female divide. And that yeah. gets broken down the farther down the alphabet soup you go into.
3: <laughs> Right, right. So, you know, and, and so I go through creation, what the natural order that God made that was good for us as image bearers. And, um, you know, I think question six is important because we are really bombarded with this question. Aren't we able to make a distinction between biological sex and gender in search of our identity? And that's the, the big thing today, that basically, even though you're born biologically as a male or a female, what truly identifies you is how you internally define yourself. And so if you have decided that your gender is different than biological sex, you're able to declare yourself to be different fundamentally than what your biology says. That, that's, a, that's another issue that's, you know, taken off today so that we have all kinds of counselors, Christian counselors who, you know, let's say you have a, um, uh, a girl, young girl growing up in, in the home and she's with her friends and she says one day, I, I want to be called Bob. Well, you know, what's a parent to do? Well, what parents are doing is they're taking them over to the hottest and most well-known counselors who will psychoanalyze them say, yeah, you know, there's a great confusion between biologically what they are and their gender. And, you know, really internally, even though, you know, she was born biologically as a female gender wise, she's a male. So they're getting that kind of advice from people. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, I, I state here to introduce gender as a new category of personhood separate from the biological category of sex to pursue a different I- identity is unnatural to the creation order harmful to the purpose for which God made us. You know, and I go into the sexually indeterminate question because I think, you know, people always throw that one at us. Well, what about those who are born indeterminate? And that's that's an anomaly. But um, all the questions there in terms of creation are there. I even go through marriage. What was marriage? Um why is, what is marriage designed to be? Um, there's questions there on the creation. Then we get into the fall and, and what happened with the lie of Satan in the garden and that he presented God as you know, restrictive and oppressive and um, their desire to define their own way. And um, I think question 18 is another crucial one for our day, for our young people. Didn't God create us to be happy in following the desires of our hearts. Isn't that what everyone says today? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, doesn't God want me to be happy? Why would he care if it's about my happiness? And I think we have to go back to these categories and look at what happened at the fall. God did create a good design in which we were happy. But what did we do? We accepted the lie of the devil. and We robbed ourselves of this happiness by obeying sinful desires. That's what got us into this mess to begin with. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, temptation and that's, that's there. And then the seriousness of all this, um, about God's judgment against sin and then redemption, you know, this is the, the great positive aspect to the catechism that when we look to Christ and we trust in him and we repent of, of sexual sin, he forgives us. Um, he cleanses us and And this is this should be the greatest news for us. It's encouraging that we're valued and loved. and i um, I, I have some sec, um, question answers there on the gospel, which I think is absolutely crucial to applying the gospel to this particular issue. Mm-hmm. And then restoration, which is what does the new life in Christ look like? You know, how do we what do we do? Um, if I'm a believer and I'm fighting against same sex attraction, you know this is this in our churches, we've got to be aware. And I'm down in Southern California. I don't know where it's like with you guys, but you know, we have to be, uh, ready and willing to help people who are coming out of this. And if they come in with a, you know, um, if a gal comes in with a, you know, looking, has all the garb on and, butch haircut and looks like, you know, man, we've got to be willing if they're if they're they're looking to Christ to help them and love them and teach them about forgiveness and and embrace them and enfold them into the community. Um, that's what Jesus did. You know? So um, yeah, um what else? Um, there's a uh, questions there on pornography. Um, by the way, you guys should know that I have updated the catechism with about three and three question answers that are a little bit different. The question 31 on pornography is changed. And I'll read that. What is pornography? Pornography is sexually explicit material produced to serve lustful desires of the flesh activated through the channel of the eye, through the looking upon of naked images of males and females for the purpose of sexual uh, arousal. So I, I made that a little more clear about being object. I asked it objectively and answered it objectively. It's, it's, it's sexually explicit material. But anyway, I think that's another big issue that we've got to help, um, not just men, but women with this is, this is a struggle, um, today. And, um, there's a lot of guilt and pollution with pornography and, um, we need to help people out of that and to tell them there is these sins can be can be broken. These sins can be by God's grace overcome, and he can give grace to, to, to help you in that it's Mm -hmm. a struggle. These are a battle. That's why we talked about earlier, the, the great power of the, the, the sexual desires that come out of us. So, um, yeah. yeah, And then, you know, uh, there's, then I get into sort of, um, family, you know, uh, husbands and wives and, and questions for singles in there. You guys asked about how does how does this help, um, young adults, there you go. I mean, how, how are we as singles to live, um, content in the state God has us and what does he expect of us? There's real purpose in being single until God supplies the spouse for you. So mm-hmm. it's all there. there. And then witness the last questions on witness. So
1: right. On, right. On. So did you say you updated three or you added three more?
3: questions? I updated. No, I just updated three, three question answers. Um, I can tell you what those updates are. If you guys would like to know in the question on, um, sexually indeterminate, uh, I said a small percentage of people are indeed born. This is question seven, sexually Mm -hmm. indeterminate. And I added due to the fall. I think that was important to say that that's a fallen issue.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I add, I, I told you on question 31, and then the question on husbands, um, um, that's question 35. I added, um, husbands should demonstrate sincere love to their wives and reverence for Christ through the exercise of loyalty, kindness, understanding, tenderness, self control, sexual purity. By all means, avoiding, I had verbal and emotional, I added physical abuse or controlling behavior. It should have been in there to begin with, but those are the only three, three additions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, I mean, I just take it for granted, obviously. But yeah, yeah, no, okay. Useful no, it's clarifications. let neat. Yes. yes. Go ahead, Ty.
4: Oh yeah, no, I appreciate the uh the restoration section too. Like just um, you know, playing off as we, this is you know comes to mind that we've been talking about it. The um, so we recently had uh, a couple of young young guys on the podcast talking about a documentary they're making uh, into the light and Um, and it talks about pornography and the dangers and and you know, overcoming that. Um. And one of the questions I asked them was like, how do you, um, how do we move from, especially people in, I would say my generation, like Lucas is 22 (laughs) or 24. He's a little younger. So he grew up with like more social media and I'm 29 going on 30. So um, we grew up with like, no, didn't have phones for as long and stuff like that. But introduced to all this kind of, um, in our generation was kind of introduced to uh, pornography and to, um, all of this material and the social media, and the whole aspect of it. Um, and we're trying to kind of piece out like where do we go from here and how do we get from a point of, um, recognizing our fallen state in this particular issue. And then I like your, how your restoration section, like, has like a guide for like, what does this, what is it supposed to look like? And then, um, yeah, I asked those young guys too, like, how do we, how do we like take the conversation about pornography and and our fallen, um, nature in that sense, and then the fight and move it into like, what, what does the Bible really, uh, call our, our sexual relationship to, to look like in, inside of a marriage. And that's like, um, it's something that's, it's, it's tough for older generations, I guess, to tackle because they haven't experience the, what the younger generations have in terms of like growing up with that stuff.
3: Well, yes and no. Um, You know, when we were kids, you had VHSs. (laughs) So, um, you know, all that was accessible. In some ways it was, it was uh, accessible in ways that was not accountable. Mm. Um, You know, you could, you could come up with a VHS and nobody knew about it. Right. But on social media and on Internet, it's, you know, everything's under surveillance. So, you know, um, my point is, is that it's always been readily available. I remember, you know, in the 19 years ago was it must have been in about late 90s. Um, we were cleaning out um, my grandparents. They had, they had both died. They were cleaning out the the house. And my dad was up in the attic and they must've been up there from the forties or thirties. I don't know when they first introduced playboy, maybe in the early fifties. I don't know. There were, there were magazines up there in the attic from previous owners way back, you know? So point is this stuff's always been available in its own kind of way. Mm -hmm. Marriage doesn't solve the problem. No. You know um, this is a, this is a human, this is a lust issue. And an issue of the human heart—it's—it's—it's a, it's, it's a battle and a fight. You know, I remember in seminary when um, one of the seminary professors pointed to all of us seminary students going to be pastors. He said, "Some of you are looking at pornography," and he said, "If you guys are doing that, you need to repent of it and get a hold of it right now." And then he said, "And if you've struggled with that." You may stumble down the road, you get up and you repent and you fight that with all you you can. The point is, I think we have to realize that, that there is forgiveness with this. There's help with this, that, um, these are very defiling sins and what the devil wants to do with these sins is destroy people. In other words, I, you know, we're the worst kind of sinners ever. If we've, you know, if we've, if we've looked at anything pornographic, um, There is serious problems with pornography, but there is help for that and there is forgiveness with that and there is grace for that and we need to help people out of that with with a message of deliverance just like all Mm -hmm. other sins and God God can deliver God does deliver God changes desires. This is part of my big concern with the modern church today is that the answer in the modern church has been what we're seeing is. Trying to conflate and find a middle way to tolerate these desires in the church and still be Christian. So you have side A Christianity, you got side B Christianity. Side A Christianity says you can be a practicing homosexual, you can have these sinful desires and still be a Christian. There's nowhere in scripture, I mean, that 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 supports that. Paul is very clear in Romans 6:1. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Heaven forbid right? Then you have side B, which is deceptive, says I can still identify with my sin. I can still call myself a gay Christian, even though I'm not practicing. And that gets to the issue of desire. You're still saying that you can hold on to your desires, even if you don't fulfill them. God says even your desires are wicked, Mm -hmm. right? Even they need to be repented of. So, you know, if, if you're a man, I mean, can you imagine a man being married to a woman and he's attracted to to another man and he says, well, I'm not I'm not practicing that. That poor wife, mm-hmm. his desire is still for the other guy. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the point is the desires have to be mortified themselves. Romans 8, um, you know, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you live. And that's that's what this catechism is designed to help people out of. It's not hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um th- there there are a lot of a lot of men in our churches who are stuck in this. We got to help them out of it. And mm-hmm. there's there's a good news for them. There's grace yeah. for them. If they turn to Christ <laughs> yeah. and repent, he'll give them what they need. Yeah. It'll yeah. be a battle, you know. Yeah, I think I think you strike the
1: balance well too. Um, because you, you touched on it a number of times throughout the catechism, but uh yeah, on the one hand, you need to, I, mean, it's, I guess it's the classic old adage, but hate the sin, but not the sinner. And that we have to be very clear on what we're teaching here. And what we also need to show the positive side of, of what life can be in the, with the gospel in Christ mm-hmm. and the whole, like the restoration section shows that pretty well. I thought another uh, point that uh, raised question 40 there about uh, young adults. And then, uh, so you asked about how they can honor their parents. Um, and I think I um, think you mentioned this in a previous interview too, but a lot of parents seem to be scared of offending their kids, and this is definitely true in the broader world. But it's probably starting to be more true in the church as well, just because of the I think I'm going to guess the rapid rate of change within the church or within the culture rather, and uh, yeah, parents just don't uh, feel like they are have the Yeah, parents feel like maybe they don't understand what the kids are going through and they want to be accepting, want to be loving that uh, without any sort of uh, guards on that. That ends up doing damage to the children, obviously.
3: Um, Do you see that as a a trend um, in the church? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, uh, Lucas. Um, You know, uh, parents, parents today uh, are they may not agree. With, let's just assume for a minute that there's a child, uh, a young adult saying, I'm taking on a new identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now identify it. I'm, I'm a, uh, I was born as a biological female. I'm going to identify as a man. And, um, and the parents today, they may disagree with it, but there's threats that are made. Counselor comes along and says, Would you rather have a dead daughter or an alive son? <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. our answer? What's our answer to that? Um, the answer is very clear. We would rather—and this is right out of Rosaria—we would rather be dead to dead to sin than mm-hmm. than living in sin as somebody who's living outside the kingdom of God. So the point is is that we have to be very clear in our message. We can't support sin. Mm -hmm. We can't support, um, you know, sinful threats. We never base what we do on the fear of outcomes. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sitting back here saying that's easy. I'm a parent. I worry about all kinds of things. But I hope that by God's grace, um, I'm going to stand on what the truth of God's word is and say son or daughter i love you and i didn't raise you this way this is against god's god's good plan for you this is against his creation and it's against his will expressed in the bible and there's no way i can support this particular sin i think we need parents who are willing to say that and mm-hmm. christopher yuan's story if you don't know christopher yuan's story that's exactly what happened um, he was he was his parents were both converted they're Chinese. They they were they grew up as atheists, and so as an atheist home they were both converted. Christopher rebelled terribly, and um, he became a practicing homosexual, and then he was selling drugs. Um, I don't know how many tons of marijuana he got caught with. He went to prison, and in prison he um, contracted the HIV virus, and then uh, his parents had been. Pr- praying incessantly for him, but before he had went to prison, they had booted him out of the house. They said, I, we cannot, we love you, but we cannot support this, this lifestyle that you're leading.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Dad gave him a Bible. He threw the Bible in the trash. I want nothing to do with you guys. Nothing to do with this God. I can't stand him. Your God. And after he had the HIV, um, you know, diagnosis, He looks one day in a trash can and he says, that's my life. Hmm. And at the top of the trash can was a Bible. (laughs) He thrown it away years ago. There was a Gideon Bible right there. He started reading it. And as he tells the story, he says, he says, I thought I was going to find good news. When I started reading the Bible, I thought this is not good news. It was really bad news. And that's what he needed to be confronted with. First, yeah, and then he came to understand the forgiveness in Christ and the gospel, and now today he speaks all over the world on this issue. So, um, the point is, he had parents who were willing to stand the ground, mm-hmm. he had parents who they didn't, they didn't, they weren't constantly harping at him and yelling at him, but they prayed for him, they loved him, they told him the truth, and um, they modeled well what it means to be a Christian. And he says that spoke volumes to me.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: that's I. I really appreciate the way this is laid out Like, to that point, because I I don't think any of us think about like the Heidelberg Catechism and think that it it you know pulls any punches. Like it's it's just out like it's the truth, right? And and we accept it because it's like it's one of our confessions that it 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 hits hard on these issues. But we do the same thing. Like I think your your this Catechism does a really good job that too like it it starts with question three that like how many sexes are there well it's like we have to answer these these dumbly basic questions in a way that's that's not like well you know like we have to we have to be willing to offend like people on these like be intolerant with uh, with you know our culture and, and with these ideas because otherwise there is no real rock to go back to stand on like so i think this really lays out like the biblical truth and uh gives parents too like and the ability to even hand this to someone who's struggling and to not be ashamed of how upfront this language is because this is what the truth is so and yeah it's tough because even like i mean we're in canada and our government's basically saying like if there you go i was thinking you could probably go to jail now for handing this to your kids if they, because they're,
2: you know,
3: counselors. And I wondered, I wondered stand. one day if I would be in trouble for writing this thing, <laughs> you know, and I'm wondering, you know, so. what a good thing to go to jail for, Um, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go to jail for being a thief or uh you know, a murderer. I'd rather go to jail for giving a catechism truth. So yeah. <laughs> if that's the Lord's providence, then I'll have jail ministry as one pastor said. So,
4: yeah, yeah. You know. well, you might have to move out of California one day. I don't know. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah, go go I know you guys though, Canada Canada. It, it is yeah that the pressure's on it yeah is. it really is it
4: it's but it go, yeah it's all this tolerant thing right and so this is like yeah having a real solid uh foundation to go back to that's blunt and and you know you can stand on it as the truth then you can you know as a parent you can love but also you know yeah there's Definitely. there's you have you have something to rely on you know, you had the Bible, but now you have something that's you know concise on this particular issue, so yeah, yeah,
3: really love it. That's, <laughs> that's it. good, thank you. <laughs> that's good. good, I wanted it to be warm and helpful, also, um, to give hope to people. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we've got to be really clear about that. I mean, the Heidelberg's so beautiful on that. Um, I wanted to make sure we're picking up the heart of what question, answer 60 in the Heidelberg, how are you right with God? you know, by true faith in Jesus Christ. And with these sins, all the sins that we've been talking about, um, you know, we're in a battle, and we're called to crucify the old man, we're called to put put to death, the old sins that have reigned in us in the past, and to walk in the newness of life. And by God's powerful spirit, he gives us the grace to walk in the newness of life. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I think yeah.
1: that's, that's a great spot to end. Yeah, uh, unless there's anything you want to add? Yeah. <laughs>
3: oh, th- thanks for having me on. It's been, a, been an you. honor. Gl- glad to meet you guys.
4: Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for writing this. Thanks for uh, you know, all the work on this, and, and for letting us also have it in perform perspective, so that it can be readily available. And, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe we'll uh, we'll get the um, the website off of you where it, uh, the new version is published, and we can we can link that in the show notes for everybody.
3: Yeah. It's. Uh, it should be available in a week. Uh, they, uh, they're running a new printing. So I, I noticed they still have the sold out, um, sticker on Reformation heritage books, but if you go okay. to RHB books, it's Reformation heritage. They, um, they should be out here in a week, week or two. Okay. Perfect. This yeah. will probably come out
1: in two, three weeks. So that'll time well. There you go. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time. Uh,
3: All right, yeah. you guys. Good to, good to see you. And, uh, thanks for having me on the program. Dude, awesome. Thanks
2: so much. Until next time. Hey, you take buddy. care. Right.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media we got a lot of great content there just search reformed real talk and we should come right up this show is created and produced by myself lucas holtfleur and tyler vanderwood and our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is mariah tamaga so we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well that's all for now folks thanks for watching or listening and we'll catch you next time bye-bye